Hi everyone, my name is Miles Surratt and I serve as the Assistant Director for Leadership and Center for Student Engagement at George Washington University. I'm also happy to be your host for, for the NASA Leadership Podcast presented by the Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community. My guest today is Lukshmi Sastri. Lukshmi manages the Common Ground Program and serves as the Student Life Program Manager in the Program on Intergroup Relations at the University of Michigan. Lukshmi completed her undergraduate work from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and her graduate work at the University of Michigan. Welcome Lukshmi. Hi, Miles. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so so happy to have you and uh, and to talk about uh, to talk about common ground and uh, and IGR generally there at the University of Michigan. So uh, we'll start with our first uh, our first segment here, which is rapid fire. So I'm going to ask a a big silly question and limit looks me to 30 second responses. So my first question, if you're ready, is mm -hmm. is the University of Michigan going to win the national championship in football this year? <laughs> um, I love this question because I know nothing about football. I went to two <laughs> Big Ten universities that were really into football, and so my answer is going to be what I am parroting from what my friends talk about, and I'm just going to believe that what they say is accurate. But I think University of Michigan football has been doing really great this season. Um, I think the chances at a national championship are looking better, but I feel like there are, I heard Alabama like is a, a crowd favorite maybe, so I feel like we probably won't beat them, but I am again totally making that up, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it should be a really exciting uh, Michigan-Ohio State game this year, I think. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I know you love winter, so what's your favorite winter activity in Ann Arbor? Yes, I do love winter. Um, we had a a warm streak. It went back up to like 60, 70 degrees, and now it finally feels like winter in November again. But um, I just love walking around in the snow. Um, I think I love the cold. It's brisk. It's energizing. Um, and there's a little adventure packed into it. Like, am I going to slip and fall? Am mm -hmm. I going to get splashed with slush by all the cars speeding by? So I feel like there's a little intrigue that goes into it. But just Hanging out in the cold and the snow is just my favorite thing about living in the Midwest, probably. Hmm. Okay. Great. Yeah, no, I think there's something very, uh, I think uh, the cold can be very energizing. And as someone who grew up in the South, the, uh, the, the heat can be kind of, uh, can make one a little bit laconic. So, um, okay, great. So what is the best thing to watch on Netflix right now? Ooh, okay. Um, I feel like there are so many great... Netflix originals that have come out, but I have to say I'm a big fan of rewatching shows. And so um, I just finished rewatching um, The Office, and right now I'm rewatching Gilmore Girls. And I feel like if you have that show and there's like a nostalgia factor in there, that's definitely a really great thing to um, put on in the background and just sort of hang out with yourself or loved ones and just Netflix. It's great. Hmm. Okay. Great. Yeah. No. Uh, uh, yeah. No. I, I uh, have have uh, made some great Netflix finds recently. I think. Uh, but you know, the the era of binge watching is. Uh, I'm I'm a very narrative driven person, and so being able to get through something quickly like that is pretty is pretty exciting. Um, and Netflix tends to. It's more about TV than movies now, I guess. So I like uh, you know big long plots extended over over large periods of time. So. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, Ann Arbor, you know, sort of your prototypical uh, college town. What is special about living in a college town? Yeah, sure. Um, there's just so much happening on in college towns and in college campuses, and I feel like um, we have a, a what's happening at the University of Michigan website, which is so overwhelming because you go on it and there's just hundreds of events and lectures and performances. And then on top of that, I feel like Ann Arbor is really well integrated into the University of Michigan campus, so there are all of these community activities happening too. So I feel like there's always something to do, something new to explore. Um, last Friday, I went to this really cool lecture about Indian cinema and the representation of disability in movies, and that was just hmm. such a a fascinating intersection that I never would have thought about, and I learned so much. And it's just so cool to be able to just show up to free lectures and events and learn something new all the time. Hmm. Great. Yeah, it's certainly an intellectually, uh, intellectually engaging environment, um, which, is, which is really exciting. I mean, it's a great part about being in colleges generally, but I think college towns are uh, so centered in that way. Um, so I know you practice crafting as a means uh, to find balance away from work. So what is your most impressive craft accomplishment? Ooh, yeah. Um, okay, impressive sets the bar high, but let me think. Um, <laughs> so my, my parents are from India originally, and on a trip to India, my mom came back with a lot of these little clay lamps, um, we call mm. them deepas, and so they were just really pretty, intricate designs, and um, I spent a week painting all of them, um, just really, you know, it was like I had to be really focused and really pay attention, and it was just such a great, relaxing thing, and I really wish I could do more things like that, just painting or adult coloring books where you have to really focus and fill out those tiny little shapes, but I, um, I'm proud of that. My mom brings them out regularly and brags about my painting skills, and that's <laughs> cute, so. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That, uh, that, that's really fun. Um, okay, so I know you have a preference for the bachelorette as opposed to the bachelor, so give me the rundown. Why? Yes. Okay, so the bachelorette is my guilty pleasure. Um, I, I remember we talked about that before, and I've been racking my head to think of why I prefer the bachelor over the bachelorette bachelorette over the bachelor and I cannot I can't think of it and I feel silly to just say maybe it's a matter of taste but I'm just I'm going to say that I think it's just it's more entertaining I feel like there's more to talk about um, the men who are all vying for the bachelorette have really sweet and funny and entertaining and ridiculous friendships and I just it's just mm. so entertaining to watch so it's just a random weird preference over the bachelor. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Okay, so I know uh, I know you did a good job answering the Netflix question and not uh, and not stepping on my last question here, which yeah. is, are you excited about the upcoming Gilmore Girls reboot? Yes, I am. Um, I think the funny thing about social media and big news reveals nowadays is that I heard about the Gilmore Girls reboot maybe over a year ago, or at least it feels like it's been forever since it's been talked about. And so mm -hmm. I, I sort of lost interest after a while. I was like, when is this actually happening? And so now that it's really soon, I feel like I'm able to build that excitement up again and relive my 
high school days of watching Gilmore Girls right after school. So I am. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, great. So we'll switch uh, to our next segment, which is a twist on a classic icebreaker. It's Higher Ed 2 Truths and a Lie. So I'm going to provide two stories from Higher Ed Current Events and one lie. And Lakshmi will have to parse out the lie. So the theme this time is hoaxes. Are you ready for your three options? Yes, I am. Okay, great. So the first option is students from the student organization Moon Truths truthers at the University of Idaho announced last week that they had discovered definitive evidence that Apollo 11's accomplishment was false. Their evidence hasn't been released yet. So that's the first one. So we've got moon truthers at the University of Idaho. Mm -hmm. The next option is the head of the University of New Mexico's Gallup campus, Dr. Christopher Dyer, was recently censored by the president of the university for spending over $7,000 of institutional funds on searching for Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. So that's your next option is, is Bigfoot hunting in New Mexico. And then the last option is a professor at the University of Canterbury in New, Ze- in New Zealand was recently surprised to find his paper submission at the International Conference on Atomic Energy and Nuclear Physics was accepted. His surprise was the result of submitting the paper exclusively through the autocomplete function on his iPhone. So <laughs> your three options are moon truthers at the University of Idaho, mm-hmm. uh, Bigfoot hunting in New Mexico, or autocomplete uh, paper acceptance. Oh my gosh, okay. Um, I really want to think that the autocomplete story is true because technology is ridiculous and just the most wild and unexpected things happen there. And so I really want, I want to believe, uh, if you will. Um, and I don't know. I really like the Bigfoot story. I think there's something, I think that's, I have no reason to decide that that's true, but I just, I'm really digging that story. So I'm going to say those two are true, and then the moon truthers discounting Apollo 11 is false. Okay, so uh, you have done the most difficult thing in this podcast, which is get higher ed teachers and all that correct. You are right. Wow! Yay! Yeah, Moon Truthers is fake. That's from my head. Um, (laughs) And uh, so, uh, yes, $7,000 of institutional funds was spent um, from the University of New Mexico hunting for Bigfoot, mainly on snowshoes, apparently. And uh, a professor at the University of Canterbury did have a paper accepted that he submitted through autocomplete. Wow. So, yeah, so congratulations. Time, Thank you. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I, I work hard on the lies. You know, it's a real, <laughs> it's yeah. a real labor of love. Um, <laughs> so congrats. I feel like everything else is gravy from here. Uh, so uh, the next segment is called Getting to Know Lakshmi. So this segment is designed to help the listeners understand you as a person and as a professional. So first question is, what is your favorite book about leadership? Yeah. Um, so I am thinking about a book that I read for a course I took my last year of grad school. Um, it was an MBA course, management and organizations about, um, transformative leadership and positive organizations. And so I read this book called Lift by Dr. Robert Quinn. And I thought it was so cool because it talked about, um, deep change and the power of positive influence, and it was a really cool blend of 
personal storytelling and narratives, but also bringing in social science. Um, and it just, it was so uplifting, which I guess is in the title too, because it's called Lift, and um, really sort of offered ways that individuals can think about their own values and then consider others and think about the most amazing, seemingly impossible outcomes and then ask themselves very pointed questions to get to these amazing outcomes and influence positive change. And um, it was just such an easy read, and I thought it was a great book that connected to so much of the stuff I'm already interested in personally and professionally, but it was coming out of um, the business field. And so it's just cool to see how there's so much overlap between different fields um, and just so much applicable. So I would definitely recommend it. It was really eye-opening, mind-changing, all sorts of stuff. Great. Great. It's nice to hear about the possibility of, of leadership programs. Um, so what, what drew you to work with Dialogue Program? Yeah. Um, so I think that what initially drew me towards Dialogue Programs was all of my experiences doing peer facilitation as an undergraduate student. Um, so I got to do some res life paraprofessional work and got to facilitate those sorts of conversations with residents, um, got to lead some first-year uh, experience courses, and um, wanted to do a quick shout-out to a program that I was in. It was called FICARE, the first-year campus acquaintance rape education workshop program, which is having a 20th-year anniversary just around the corner. But just lots of peer facilitation opportunities. And it made me think about how sometimes facilitation works really well. Um, and it looks so different where, you know, sometimes it'll be a couple students facilitating a workshop for 80 other students. And sometimes it'll be, you know, let's have a deeper conversation with just five of us hanging out here over a meal. Um, and so really getting to experience peer facilitation in so many spaces and forms and really thinking about, well, how does this work and why does this matter um, help me encounter the idea of dialogue and dialogue practice. And so um, coming to the University of Michigan and knowing that the intergroup relations program was here that really focuses so deeply on dialogue stuff was definitely a draw. And, you know, I, I'm just really curious about the why, right? So what's What's the research? What's the experience that shows that this matters and that there are really effective ways to have difficult conversations and really listen well and get to know people in different ways? So I think that was sort of my personal journey towards meeting dialogue. Yeah. Great, great. So what place does uh, intergroup relations have on the University of Michigan campus? Just to sort of contextualize the overall scope of of that particular unit on your campus? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the program on intergroup relations is a little over 25 years old. And um, I think it's really unique as a program because it sits between um, the student life unit, so doing a lot of student affairs, co-curricular programming. And it also sits within the College of Literature, Science, and the Arts. Um, and offers academic courses. So in terms of its place on campus, you know, really having this dual role between the academic and the student life co-curricular co pieces, um, 
I think makes it really unique and it means that a lot of different students and staff and faculty can access it in different ways. Um, but yeah, I think it's really sort of the hub on our campus where um, dialogic pedagogies were created. And I know there's lots of awesome dialogue work that happens in other units and you know, sort of pockets of campus, but I feel like IGR, which is the acronym for the Program on Intergroup Relations, really um, is the place where conversations about social identity and power and privilege and oppression happen regularly. Hmm. Wonderful. All right, so we'll transition to our last segment, which is sort of the heart of the podcast itself, which is six big leadership questions. So yeah. really want to dive deep on common ground and help people understand what that program is. So can you provide, just to get us started for our first question, can you provide a summary of common ground? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think I'm really glad you asked that question about IGR, um, the Program on Intergroup Relations, and its place on our campus because I think it's hard to understand the Common Ground program without understanding how it fits into that larger program. Um, but within IGR, there are courses, there's research happening on intergroup dialogue, and Common Ground is the co-curricular arm that does workshops. Um, and so Common Ground's main task is to um, offer these one-time workshops to campus. So we do workshops for students, both graduate and undergrads. Um, we don't do any work with staff or faculty. Um, and the workshops are really focused on social identity exploration. And so we always talk about um, let's, let's reflect on our race or our religion or our socioeconomic class or our gender identity and talk about how these matter in, our, in group settings, how these affect the way we are interacting with each other and successful, and how these impact our classes, and all sorts of things like that. So that's really what happens in these workshops. Um, so the workshops are short, and they are one time. They're really interactive. We do a lot of activities and discussions, and they are always co-facilitated by trained student facilitators. So we have um, a small group of undergrad and graduate students who are a part of Common Ground, and they, we train them, and then they develop the agendas and the activities for each workshop and really train it to the needs of the requester, and then go off and facilitate them start to finish and collect evals, evaluations at the end. Um, so yeah, that's a lot about the main function, which is the workshops and the facilitators. And I keep saying the word we, um, and so what I mean by we is we have a programming team that is in charge of the entire Common Ground program. And so um, it's a team of me as the one full-time staff member. We have three awesome graduate interns who are in uh, the higher education program. And then we have four undergrad students, and together this team runs the program. Um, we have someone who does logistics stuff. We have someone who does um, recruitment and marketing. We have people focused on curriculum development and workshop management. And so um, to summarize the program and how it even comes to life and runs, I think, is through the programming team, which we affectionately call the PT. Um, and I think the last piece 
of the Common Ground program is we also have uh, student coordinators um, who are not always facilitators, but there are other students who are involved in the program and um, plan community building events and create events and ways to support facilitators and really strengthen the program from within. So we have a lot of different people involved, but we all sort of work together to deliver these workshops, dozens every semester, to all different places on campus from the medical school to Greek organizations to our LGBTQ Resource Center. So just a lot of connecting with campus. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, that's wonderful information. And thanks for bringing up the student coordinators. I know that I had uh, promised to ask a question so you could give those folks a shout out because you're so uh, proud of the work that they do and I know you think mm -hmm. that they get overlooked. And I forgot to include it. So thanks for, thanks for looping back to that. Um, no so how did the, how did the Common, uh, Common Ground program get started? I think the, the origin story is really, is really unique and, and, worth, and worth hearing. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool to talk about the origin story of the Common Ground program because it's been just about 10 years. So I think we should really start planning some sort of celebration and commemoration. So that's a really great reminder for me. But um, the Common Ground program started back in 2006. Um, there were a couple different things happening on the University of Michigan campus that really sort of highlighted a need for a program such as this one. Um, so in 2006, there was a ballot initiative in the state of Michigan called Prop 2, um, and it passed, which effectively um, ended affirmative action as a possibility at public institutions. Um, and so that was, I think, sent a lot of folks on campus reeling because of what it meant for students feeling unwelcomed and what we knew it would do to inclusion and representation and diversity on this campus. Um, so that was sort of, that was in the air and I think that prompted a lot of requests to IGR um, asking for workshops or trainings or just could IGR please come into our group and lead us in a conversation because we know that talking about social identities is important and we see how it's impacting our campus climate and campus demographics. And so um, there is this need to have these conversations, um, but it wasn't something that was built into the structure of the intergroup relations program because IGR offered semester-long dialogue courses. Um, so I think in 2006, um, they hired new staff to develop this pilot program um, brought in some students to develop um, workshops and presentations, and then started uh, delivering those to students on campus and groups on campus that asked for them. Um, so I think a really cool example of um, hearing what students need and being able to present that back in a, you know, building the structure and the infrastructure for that. Um, but since then, the program has grown a lot. And I think, again, given national climate, a lot of stuff that's happening on our campus, again, resurfacing and making visible, again, the need for conversations about power and privilege and oppression and how can we 
be inclusive and be equitable. And so we've seen a, a rise in the number of workshops. So I think we're needed on this campus, and it's really great that we can provide something that's so important and needs to happen. Hmm. So that so the the origin of the program I think hits on sort of uh, missional or, or visional kind of ideas, and I know that you'll have a really robust uh, set of learning outcomes. Um, so if we could kind of you know bridge from mission and vision and how the program gets started, got started to you know how, what you're pointing back to for your learning outcomes and what y'all are really trying to establish. Uh, uh, sort of to create that bridge between what you described earlier regarding programming, what we just talked about with mission and vision, to sort of connect those two ideas. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I feel like we have um, goals and a vision and a set of outcomes that really focus on our student leaders, whether that's referring to our student coordinator, coordinators, uh, workshop facilitators, or our student staff on our programming team. So there's that set of outcomes. And then we also have our goals and outcomes for um, each individual workshop, right? So as we're interacting with hundreds and hundreds of participants, what do we actually want them to get out of their time um, having attended a workshop? So um, to the first point with our student leaders, I think um, we really want to provide a space where students can learn skills around facilitation. Um, facilitation is such a transferable, important skill set to have. Um, I think, I mean, I'll say it makes everything easier for me from small talk to, um, you know, even giving presentations. So really being able to provide that facilitation training and then the um, leadership development of it for getting students to think critically about what, how do social identities play out in their own leadership styles, and how does that impact their group dynamics, and how can they um, really think about being multi-partial and attending to the dynamics of identities while also becoming stronger teammates and things like that. So those are some of the outcomes there. Um, I think what we have laid out a lot more clearly is um, our outcomes for the workshops which is based in um, a lot of student development theory um, that was brought in from the start of the Common Ground program back in 2006-2007, um, really looking at self-authorship theory and um, intercultural maturity, that model, um, to really focus on how can students learn and grow in cognitive dimensions in intrapersonal and intrapersonal. I hope I didn't say the same thing twice, inter and intra. Um, and so we that is phonetically really very to... challenging. I know. <laughs> it really is. Um, it really is. Fun side note is I feel like because I've been watching so much Gilmore Girls and the characters mm. on that show talk so quickly, I've been catching myself talking really quickly. So right now I'm trying to <laughs> sound everything out slowly, but um, yeah. So I think really some of the things we hope our participants get out of workshops is, are they, how are they thinking about the content that they heard, right? How are they thinking about new perspectives? How are they thinking about the fact that social identities exist and we all have them and they matter? Um, and then on the intrapersonal front, um, really hoping that participants leave um, feeling like 
their level of self-awareness has increased and that they had a space to do some deep reflection and really think of experiences and stories that have always been with them, but they haven't had a chance to really bring to light and explore um, in a very structured or, you know, open fashion. Um, and then also a last goal, um, that interpersonal piece of how are workshop participants really thinking about um, interacting across difference and engaging with people who look differently than they do and think differently than they do. And I think that's really important because it brings in the application piece of how are participants going to apply the stuff they talked about in the workshop to their lives inside and outside of the classroom? And how excited or motivated or prepared do they feel to continue having these conversations outside of the workshop? And how comfortable do they feel interacting with people of different identities? Um, and so I think that's something I really like to see is that interpersonal growth and how does this actually matter as we practice it outside of workshops. Um, mm. So I think, yeah, that's an overview of just what we're hoping our students are gaining from spending time with us with this program. Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, the the heart of your program is obviously the the work that the the work that your student coordinators do to facilitate everything, and your and really the work that the facilitators are doing to go out and to engage in these dialogues. So, um, you know, I think that uh, the question of training and how you prepare folks for these conversations is really essential, um, and it sounds like it's something that y'all do very intentionally and very thoroughly. So. Can you sh share what sort of training you'll provide for your Common Ground facilitators? Yeah, for sure. Um, it is. It's pretty, it's pretty involved, and I think um, all, all of our facilitators would tell you that doing this work, you know, facilitating workshops is amazing and energizing and it's vital, but it's so, it's so challenging. It's hard, and it's uncomfortable, and it's draining mentally, emotionally, everything. And so I think we really try to acknowledge that by making sure that our training, like you said, is robust and it's sustained and that it's a, a continuous form of support that happens throughout our facilitators' experience with us. Um, but yeah, I'll start at the beginning. So when we have facilitators join Common Ground, um, they're all required to attend a three-day training retreat, which happens um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, over the course of a weekend. Um, it's a weekend that's usually at the start of the semester. Um, and so it's a lot of time they're dedicating to us, right? So um, we'll spend Friday really making sure they have a good grip on the goals of the program. And so sharing with them maybe a little of what I shared with you just before um, about the outcomes and the mission and the vision and um, what is IGR and what is its place on this campus? And then Saturday, really diving into um, sort of that self-work around social identity exploration and having people think about um, their own socialization and their own biases and what's salient to them, what's not salient to them, um, and really just starting to build that trust and get to know each other and helping them realize that if they need to lead these conversations, um, for other students on campus, then they also need to be able to do that reflection and feel comfortable doing that. Um, and then the final day is really about 
facilitation skills. So we talk about we talk about listening, we talk about inquiry, we talk about the um, actual workshop process and what needs to happen in each workshop. How do they? How do facilitators create an effective workshop that um, sparks conversation and meets the goals of the requesting group or organization? Um, so it's a full weekend, and I think it's just it's like a it's like an appetizer, right? It's really just laying down the groundwork and the foundation. Um, and then we keep training our facilitators through weekly meetings. And so every Wednesday we gather for an hour and a half and then we um, keep practicing facilitation skills or we will um, you know, go through different possible activities that can happen in a workshop and talk through why they work, why they don't work, how would you facilitate it given your style and your um, identities and positionality and things like that. And it's really just such a good space for people to connect with each other, um, especially if, you know, just being in school is tough and the microaggressions that happen all around and just harmful things that are in the air and being able to come and decompress and learn and engage at these meetings, I think, has been, I've heard it's been really great for our facilitators. Um, and then, yeah, I think a final part of training that we do is ongoing coaching one-on-one. -on -one. And so our programming team will shadow workshops that happen to make sure um, things are going well, to see if there are areas for improvement. And then we'll meet individually with our facilitators and really give them a chance to reflect on how their facilitation is. You know, what are areas of improvement that they have for themselves? And how can they leverage their own strengths and really be able to articulate um, the skills that they bring to the table as a facilitator? So I think that one-on-one -on -one relationship building is really great in terms of strengthening the community, but I also think it's a huge part of the training that we offer each year. Ooh, okay. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, that is a lot, and that's such good information. I think that uh, I think that that's the sort of information that people need in order to really prepare folks for these conversations. So that transitions nicely uh, into, into our fifth of the six big leadership questions, which is how can practitioners model this program on other campuses? Mm, yeah. Um, as a, a new student affairs educator, I've gotten to meet people from different campuses, different institutions, and when we're chatting about what we do, I think people ask me that question of how, well, how can we model some stuff on our own campuses after Common Ground? And I think a lot of the places where um, there are hiccups in the conversation is, well, I don't think our campus has the structure for that, or there's funding stuff involved, and we don't have the capacity for this. So I feel like there's lots of um, structural things that Common Ground has that are important to the way we do it, but I don't think that they're integral to making the program successful, right? So in terms of how can other practitioners model this program, I don't really want to talk about our specific workshop request process or you know, any specific structures, because I think that's so individualized to the campuses or institutions we're coming from and how things have already mm -hmm. been set up. Um, mm -hmm. I do think that like the, I don't know, secret sauce, magic sauce, I don't know what the <laughs> idiom is, but 
um, the thing that makes Common Ground super effective that I hope other people can see and, and borrow and, and make better is um, our investment in our student leaders' learning and their growth and their development. Um, I think mm. I just ran out of breath talking about all of the training and the support that we try to do for our facilitators and that our student coordinators also try to offer. And so just really, really investing that time um, I think makes our program work really well because we are working with a programming team who in turn works with facilitators who in turn work with hundreds and hundreds of students. And so by putting a lot of thought and intentionality and just resources into our programming team and facilitators, I feel like it's spreading and it's reaching such a wide audience. Um, mm. And I think the just something that comes with doing social justice education work is that um, the stakes are high, right? Like there's a lot of potential for harm to be caused. Um, I think we need to approach, at least I try to approach this work with humility because I know that I mess up. I know that I'm going to mess up always because there's things that I don't have to be aware of in my privilege and things that I haven't unpacked and challenged in myself. And so um, really wanting to do this work responsibly, I think, requires a lot of that community building and a lot of that ongoing sustained training and building those one-on-one -on -one relationships. And I think that's what really drives our program. Um, and I think the structure of it, um, you know, just the, the logistical pieces, the actual development of the program has shifted so much over time, and I feel like that's just the nature of it, right? With each cohort of students who comes in, we have to meet different needs, and so that's always shifting. But just really spending a lot of time supervising the programming team, caring about our student volunteers, um, drives this. And that's, I think, why so many people care about student leadership and care about supporting students mm -hmm. on college campuses. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think that that, I, I was thinking as you were saying that, I mean, this is just a, a, a per profound call for supporting our student leaders, you know, and for developing them and, and to continue to support them. So, um, and, and to circle back, secret sauce, not magic sauce. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Secret sauce. Yeah. You should have tried should have trusted your instincts, you know. Uh, so, all right. So one other thing that I think, uh, as as we were talking, um, you mentioned is is really important. The function of common ground that may be a little bit counterintuitive to folks is that your uh, is, is that the dialogue programs are only an hour and a half. So, um, uh, and and you see that as more of an opportunity than than a limitation. So, what unique value do do y'all find in that in that time length, which seems you know short for a conversation this big. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. It is counterintuitive. I think, um, I mean, I was just saying investing a lot of time is the key, is what I think is a key to um, what I think makes our program really awesome. And now on the flip side, all of the workshops that we offer are really short, usually an hour and a half to two hours long, very in and out, scratch the surface. So it does seem pretty, um, 180 to what I just said. And honestly, I think when I first learned about the Common Ground program as a grad intern at the University of Michigan, I was skeptical. But I think um, it does work. And I, I'm 
so glad that we do evaluation and assessment work to really, you know, add credibility because, I mean, we know justice work is important in and of itself, but there's also that layer of needing to show that this is valuable through quantitative and qualitative research, so that's just a thing that happens. Um, but yeah, so it works. We know that the short format works. And I think a story that comes to mind around this is um, when I was a, a graduate intern, just started supervising undergrad students in my internship, and I was talking to a student. Um, she was a junior, a third year at the time, and she was telling me how there were so many things she was involved in outside of school, and she was so excited about them, but also disappointed that she had just learned about them that year, right? And all the different clubs and, and work that she was doing, she just sort of encountered them on accident. And she was sharing with me how she wished that there was a guaranteed way that everyone could learn about every opportunity from the start. And that felt so familiar to me, um, especially having spent most of my time on these really giant campuses where so much happens. And when we're off in our little corner, we don't really know what's happening on another corner of campus. Um, and it really makes me think about how there is power in immersive learning, like a sustained 15-week intergroup dialogue course where you get to meet with the same people over and over and really engage deeply and authentically. Um, and I think there's also power in, in the exposure of it, right? to have a student who might never have to have a conversation about social identities or never have to think about diversity and to have them sort of have access to a common ground workshop is really amazing. Um, so I think there are students who are excited about social justice work who will seek out opportunities to do this. And I think there are other students who are open to it and are interested in it, but it just doesn't show up in their classes and it doesn't show up in the stuff they do on campus. And so the fact that we have these short, accessible workshops that are happening all over means that more and more students will encounter this early on and are guaranteed to be able to see this sort of workshop from maybe even their first year of college. And so I think the one and a half hours works. We get to dive into topics that students might never get to talk about otherwise. Um, at least not in this way. And, um, and just the fact that there are so many workshops happening in, you know, in an engineering fraternity or for students who work in the dining halls or um, you know, students who are involved in service work on campus and do a lot of um, service trips and volunteering and community um, engagement and things like that. Like all of them have an opportunity to be able to dive into these workshops. And I think that's just the access of it is amazing. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. And that's such great information. So uh, that is the last of our six big leadership questions. So thanks to everyone for joining us for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. And thanks so much to Lakshmi. The work y'all are doing with intergroup relations and common ground is really an incredible model for us all. And thanks for continuing to innovate and serve as a model for inclusive dialogues. I hope that the work that y'all you'll do will be will be modeled and will spread to other campuses in, in a way that I know that that movement has already started a little bit. But I hope that will continue. So thanks so much. Um, Absolutely. It was great to chat. Thank you.
Yeah, yeah. And if you want to find out more information about uh, about um, IGR or uh, Common Ground, just fire up the old Google machine uh, and search Common Ground is, is all one word. It's uh, capital C and then capital G on the ground. Uh, and, and you can find that information really quickly. It's just Common Ground at the University of Michigan or Intergroup Relations Program at the University of Michigan, but you'll be able to track that information down. So you can also get more information about the Student Leadership Program's knowledge community on our various social media outlets, including Facebook.com backslash SALead, on Twitter at NASPA SLPKC, on Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC. And you can also connect with me on Twitter at Miles, that's M-Y-L-E-S underscore Surrett, S-U-R-R-E-T-T. And finally, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, we'd love to hear about your program. So please shoot an email to naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much, Lexi. Thank you.